Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bibles. We're going to stand and sing again in a few minutes, but I want to read this passage of Scripture. We'll start in verse number 1, and I'm going to read down, I think, to verse 29. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. He's talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system, right? And uh, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of sheep and bulls, goats, doves that were killed to cover sin, just to put a covering, just to remind people of the consequences of sin, but could never take away the sin. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if they had to, if they could have just offered a lamb and it could take away their sins, they would have stopped offering and they wouldn't have offered anymore, right? And so they would have forgotten the cost of sin because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh, speaking of Jesus, into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Jesus here is talking to his father. Verse 6, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Isn't that an amazing statement? God instituted those sacrifices. Why? To remind men and women of their sinfulness and to set before mankind a picture that an atonement could be made. That blood needed to be shed. Sin has consequence. But pointing to a, a lamb who could take away the sins of the whole world. Verse 7, then said I, Jesus speaking to God, the Father, I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book, speaking of the word of God, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do, the, to do thy will, O God. He, Jesus, taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified, we're set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He had completely satisfied the sin debt. Recently got a notice in the mail from Chase Bank. Remember the church plant over in Ludington, Gospel Light Baptist Church? and We took out years and years ago, maybe 14 years ago, I think, a mortgage 
in our name for that church to be planted. They could, that church, just a handful of people could not get approval for a loan. But we got a letter in the mail from Chase Bank and it said, satisfied. It's all paid for. How many of you have gotten that letter from your bank on your home? Hey, isn't that great? Satisfied. And they actually use that term. They use that term. Well, God the Father was satisfied. It says this in verse 13, From henceforth expecting, so he's sitting on the right hand of the Father, Jesus says, From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. It means to be to make holy, to purify from sin. Verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. This is it's talking about what we have in the Lord. He has written his word in our hearts. You know that if you're a child of God, he has written his word in your heart. And sometimes when you're out and about this week or last week and you were tempted to say something or think something or go down a path and you were convicted by the word of God, by the spirit of God within you and me. That was all part of the promise. And I love verse 17. God chooses not to remember our sins anymore. So when he thinks of your name, he thinks of my name. He doesn't remember doesn't hold those sins to our account. Why? Because it's been paid for in full. In full. It's all paid for by Jesus. Verse 18. Now where remission, that's forgiveness, deliverance of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There's no more need to make offerings for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. That's a reference to heaven. In a sense, this way, the holy of holies in the kingdom of, of, of heaven, the throne room of heaven. How do we have this confidence, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus? Because his blood is better, more powerful than any of the blood that any lamb ever shed for all those hundreds of thousands and probably millions of lambs slain. He says in verse 20, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, having an high priest over the house of God. Then look at verse 22 down through verse 24 here. So what should we do in response? You know, this whole chapter has to do with Jesus coming in obedience to the father and taking our sins upon his body and. Um, being our sacrifice and his shedding his blood so we could be forgiven. And what should our response be? Is there anything we're told that we should do? Well, look at verse 22. First, we're to let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we ought to draw near to the Lord. He just talked about how this we can enter into the holiest place, any place, with boldness. Well, we, we ought to draw near. Our, and I might ask you this, are you close to the Lord? Are you walking closely with him? 
verse 23, he says, Secondly, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. It's important to God that you hold fast. Without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Do you ever feel like you're wavering? Ever feel that way? Yes or no? Yeah, okay. We do. We, we tend to be wavering. But he says, uh, don't just draw near with a true heart and full assurance, knowing that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. Do that. But beyond that, hold fast that profession of faith without wavering. You're tempted to waver, but don't don't give in to that temptation. And then verse 24, thirdly, we see, and let us consider one another. Be thinking about one another. You ever think about one another when you're not here? Scott Pagan was sick for a long time. You ever think about him? Wonder how he's doing, how he's recovering. You know, we can go around this room. Sometimes I wonder where Todd is in Michigan, what job he's doing, how he's doing, if he's encouraged. No, these are things I think about. We go around this room. Do you ever think consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works? Provoke. My dad used to tell me to stop provoking my siblings. It wasn't to love and to good works, I can tell you that. I would needle them. Needle, needle, needle. And I'd get the response I was looking for. Yeah, not good, huh? Not not good. That's not the way to be a big brother or a brother or sister. But you know, as a brother and sister in Christ, we are actually to provoke one another to, not to anger, not to wrath, but unto love and to good works. How do we promote, provoke one another unto love? And think biblically here. We love him because... So we're to provoke one another to love. How do you think we can provoke one another to love? By loving them. How can we provoke one another and encourage one another to love others sacrificially? And to be thoughtful about others. Well, by being thoughtful about them, by loving them, by praying for them. And to good works. Of course, we know that that would be, in a sense, kind of what we talked about this morning, abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit. And then in verse 25, he goes further. He makes it very applicable to us, lest we are not sure how to go about this. He says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know, it's hard to provoke one another to love and good works when we're never getting together. It really is. It's important. That's why that's important to gather. He goes on and he says this, as the manner of some is, some folks don't gather. And by the way, this is interesting to me. This isn't just something that's for today, in 2020. I mean, most of us here... Some you know we've sometimes looked back into the last century, and uh, you know in those days you know there was you probably noticed there were times where people wouldn't gather. You know, it was a little harder to gather a group of people together. You know I'm speaking to I guess the the choir here on a Sunday afternoon after a sack lunch Sunday. We didn't have a big meal to provide for every. You had to bring your own lunch, and never was that more felt by me than this weekend. 
So Valentine's night, Friday evening, we had dinner as a family. And, uh, and then Cindy, she just said, I'm really tired. And then sore throat, and then fever, and then happy Valentine's Day. She went to bed. She was in bed, and that's very, she doesn't go to bed unless it's midnight, between midnight and 6 a.m. or something. Uh, that's not amen. <laughs> I benefit from it, but anyway, I wish she'd go to bed more often, but it finally, so she's got the flu, so Saturday, I did say, you're just trying to get out of roller skating, I know it. No, I did say that, but she wasn't. She was in bed all day Saturday morning. I did warn her, I said, if I come home and you've been cleaning this house, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> she wasn't. She's sick. And then, uh, so dinner. What do you do for dinner when your wife's that sick? I made my oh, non-award-winning chili. That's what I did. That's a plug. But, so we did that. But then it was like, I have to come up with lunch for Sunday. And I wanted to say, help? Are you? I know you're in there, Cindy. Help. So we packed lunches this morning. And they're all still alive as of now. But um, I, I realized this afternoon, I toward the end of my message, I'd forgotten a few things for lunch. But um, it's, it's hard to, there's a challenge to gathering. And it's not just something that's new to our day and age, by the way. Within this, local, within this local church, within these Hebrew believers, there was a tendency not to. For whatever reason. I imagine some of the reasons were the very same reasons that you and I have. Don't feel like it. Something else to do, right? But here he's telling them, so because of this wonderful sacrifice, because of what Jesus Christ has done, by his blood and his sacrifice, his willingness, his cross, what should we do? We'll draw near with a true heart and full assurance in verse 22. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Don't waver. Why? He's faithful, that's promised. Not because of who you are, but because he's faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Consider one another. Provoke unto love and good works. And how do you do that? Well, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. As get closer to Christ's return, gather together more. Spend more time together. Encourage one another. Love one another. Provoke into good works. This is the ministry. This is, this is what Christ wants us to do. This is, as a result of his great sacrifice, we have this opportunity to love one another. You know, uh, I, Cole, you're here. You're faithful gathering with the church. Don't ever stop doing that. You know, I imagine for most of your life you're here because dad and mom are here. But I think it's becoming a part of who you are. No matter what you do for a living, love God's people. It's at the heart of the it's at the heart of ministry. It's at the heart of loving Christ. And I I, I look at you and I reminded of when I was growing up and. There were times I came because I wanted to be here. There were times I came because mom and dad were bringing me. And I, you know, you're a great encouragement to us. And that's not just true for a, somebody who's in high school, but it's true as I look around this room. Mrs. Tolman comes 
she can. I'm encouraged by her ministry, her desire to gather with us and hear God's word. And I'll sit over here and listen to her sing. None of us are perfect here. There are struggles that go throughout the week. I mean, we're not all here because we've had a wonderful spiritual week and we were just talking about awesome. God was impressed with us and that's why we're here. No, no, that's not why we're here. We're here because God tells us to gather together. Don't stop, okay? Don't stop doing that. Verse 26, he goes on. He says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite, despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Verse 31, he says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And he says, But I call to remembrance the former days in which, after we were, ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. So he reminds them when they were first saved. He's saying, Don't go back into sin. Don't sin willfully. There's no more sacrifice for it. One sacrifice has been made. He says, I remember when you were first saved. You do too. You endured a great fight of afflictions. Verse 33, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock. The Greek word there is, has, we get our English word theater from it. People watched and their mouths fell open as they watched you suffer. Both by reproaches and afflictions. And partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me. Even while you were suffering, you had compassion of me, Paul said, in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You gave physically. Verse 35, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. It's like a double positive. A great reward of reward. It's beyond our grasping. Verse 36, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. You have need of patience, endure for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just, the idea has the idea of the justified shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. For we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, unto destruction. We are not unsaved, is what he's saying, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Listen, God the Father has been satisfied, fully satisfied, with the sacrifices of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of that, his broken body, his blood shed, God has been satisfied. Jesus was willing to take our sins. He was willing to go to the cross. Um, We need to be patient. We need to endure. 
And while we're doing that, encourage one another, love one another. And in doing so, let's love the Lord. Let's take our hymnals, turn to hymn number 359, 359.